HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Fiji Water and Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. And welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Slightly embarrassed having these two in the studio today. I mean, we have some nice furniture. We have some nice... Yeah, Mexican blankets. <laughs> glassware. But no one sets the scene like Reclaimed Design, Ben Knox, Christopher Spalding. Thank you for being on. Well, thank of you. Of course. Now, thanks for having us. I also have to thank No Effects for the introduction. Uh, I remember going over to your office uh, slash house in the mid-afternoon in Alphabet City a couple months ago, and I, I was supposed to take notes, but I was so raptured by the conversation being had and the frenetic energy that you two... <laughs> there it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> and to try to explain what you two do is, is... There is no microcosm that can do that because you kind of do a little bit of everything, but what you really do is set a scene, and that scene can be dining or, or something more triumphal, like a, an experiential event. But at its core, you guys care about hospitality. And that's why you're on the show today. So talk to me about what it means to build a scene for yourselves, for a client, and how people should enjoy and interact with all the things they're with. Um, well, thank you, first and foremost, <laughs> Absolutely. for all that lovely intro. Uh, I think the two of us share a theatricality that informs all of our work. And I think it's apropos, you say, set a scene, because we truly believe in narrative-driven design. And we just want to create beautiful situations with fabulously sourced things that inspire conversation and really tell a story. Yeah, you're really able to heighten um, you know, the focus of the concept that you're trying to present if you really create a really engaging world that everybody can kind of, you know, there's subtleties, there's nuances, there's, you know, vintage uh, pieces that'll trigger a guest or an audience's own nostalgic, you know, moment. But we also have micro warnings for all those triggering moments. <laughs> no seizures. Yes. <laughs> we do not want any microaggressions being unleashed by our design. We did, we did set a world of the play one time that included drones and there, yeah. there was a 
a minor drone yeah, accident. That was not a microaggression. That was a major <laughs> no, aggression. I don't, I don't think we have to worry about epilepsy on yeah, air. Exactly. So luckily. But when, when you talk about you know using these narrative-driven designs uh, to inform somebody of where they're at or what they're doing, was that something from a young age? Like, what what did your rooms look like? What did your dining table when you sat down to eat look like? Uh, Beautiful. I think that both of us have been designing instinctively since we were a child. I was raised on 16 acres with beautiful forests, and as a gay kid in southern Illinois, sometimes was kind of alone a lot. So I would make my own worlds out in these forests, donning capes, and you know, out there just creating <laughs> these magical worlds for real. And then I would take in um, plants and beautiful leaves and such to make fabulous tablescapes for Thanksgiving and the like. Yeah, I'm from <laughs> South Mississippi, so there's a lot of pine straw everywhere. I got kind of like, you know, had a lot of energy, so I got sent to play outside a bunch. <laughs> so I would, you know, rake uh, the pine straw into what would become like a floor plan of some grand event that I was throwing in the backyard, you know, in my imagination. So I've always kind of been, you know, very focused on kind of creating the world of the play and an environment and, you know, being able to, to, uh, you know, just uh, flesh out a lot of cool storytelling options through that. We're both, as Ben mentioned, theatrical and background. I went to New York University. I was in a show on Broadway called Curtains. I was an ensemble dancer. And a lot of the excitement of uh, acting and, and storytelling at that caliber for me was being able to kind of put on all those costumes and, you know, really live inside the creative uh, vision of these incredible, you know, Tony Award winning designers and and, uh, you know, costume, you know, the, the props, when all of a sudden you get something in your hand, the story just gets to come to life in a different way. So I think we both try to bring that flair for theatricality. We know what it means to, you know, to put on a show and to, to have a, a big impact be made. Yeah, so that whether that's a cheese book <laughs> or an event, as you said, it's always going to have a flair for the dramatic. Yeah, we'll, we'll define what that cheese book is later. <laughs> it's just a drop cheese book. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's something to be said about fiction or, or, or imagination, you know, being able to turn that into a reality because maybe you were a, a listless caped wandering nomad, <laughs> but you've turned that into something that is tangible, something that is real these days. And, and that's what I always find so fascinating that people who have this design acumen, you know, have something in their head and they're able to execute it and like actually put it on the table. So let's, let's talk about that cheese book. Um, no effects was the photographer for that, and Tia Keenan mm-hmm. uh, was the what, what do you call a cheese aficionado? Cheese monger, the cheese, cheese whiz, whiz. cheese whiz. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get called into that project, and and what is it like to you know show the many shades of cheese? Well, we worked on a food styling shoot for this flash frozen organic company called Ortaji and Noah was the photographer they brought in and I mean upon meeting him on set yeah, it was, was just like instant chemistry love at yeah, first sight. <laughs> and then he tried for a year to find a project that would work with us and reached out with this one yeah, and I think was kind of, uh, you know, liked the idea that we were coming from a different place in terms of the approach uh, to the project. We had never necessarily styled um, a, a culinary art book or a cookbook of any kind. And, you know, he had already, you know, had 10, you know, and had already created such a, a an impact for himself. And He so- wanted a fresh new take, especially with cheese that can be so, it's a wood 
bored and it's the cheese. He wanted something totally fresh and exciting and new and thought that we had the energy to bring it. And then there's also, you know, that when we were doing our own research and when we were having our pre-production meetings with uh, John O'Jarrett, the editor at Rizzoli and, and Tia, you know, we were kind of looking at what does exist now and figuring out how can we put our own fresh approach, you know, how can we make this accessible but still, you know, fit inside an aspirational lifestyle market where you're trying to encourage people to do, you know, yeah. do a little more than just set out, you know, your cubes of uh, craft cheddar when you have a party or something exactly. like that. Yeah. So, And we took our cue from the art and the art of the cheese plate. And we really just wanted to source the most beautiful things. I live in Williamsburg. And so every Saturday and Sunday when I'm hanging about, there's the greatest artisanal stores with the best pottery and the coolest things that are handmade here in Brooklyn. So I'd stroll around and be like, oh, that's beautiful. And then Chris and I would go in and we'd do our little dance together and ask to borrow <laughs> zillions of it's dollars. It's definitely a song and dance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We learned through that process. I don't know how to how to charm them and yeah, it's get it a lot. Free. You know, because a lot of times, especially with budget limitations <laughs> or with time limitations, you're really having to connect with these vendors and connect with these shop owners. And you know, it becomes one of our favorite parts of the whole job is really being able to you know create and then maintain these relationships with skilled craftsmen and really inspiring artists that you're able to then be like, okay, so if I put this in a campaign, can I? You know, can we have yeah. this for a week and bring it back? And I promise I'm not going to break it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, we, we've had a handful of ceramicists <laughs> and those. Kind Kind of like plateware and tabletop designers on the show, but it's it's true, you know. Often in cookbooks, you see the same thing over and over, and it's like, oh, everyone's using the same unglazed porcelain. There, are, not many people are using plates that have uh, characters from Star Wars on them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, talk to me about sourcing. Aside from there, what? you're doing uh, are, are you looking for a specific object or are you well, letting we were, it come to in you? that instance because tia was such a meticulous artist herself that she created a spreadsheet that she would describe for instance a funny she'd call it Nima stinconia stinconia or, or something for every single you know cheese. of the three cheeses we were she'd have a pithy name and she'd have a beautiful description of what inspired her about the cheeses and what its taste and we would just read those she adjectives. also gave us the colors you know the textures so that we cheese. knew what we were trying to contrast against or what we were trying to play up so armed with all those adjectives and all that color story we'd go out and we'd find things and the plate you mentioned had to do with love it was cheeses for lovers or something yeah but we didn't want it to be like the expected kind of just like a love cheese plate. We were so, like, let's come up with a really yeah. twisted kind of take on what <laughs> the, this dinner well, is. Yeah. Who, who is sitting down at dinner? Yeah, the know? ancestral yeah. family. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you had Darth Vader and Princess Leia plates, and they just played beautifully with everything else. But it was a fun take on love. And, yeah, it's this know. kind of unexpected Miami 1980s yeah. looking story. We yeah, and we always had characters. Like, that was a lesbian couple from Miami's in the 80s. <laughs> the characters usually develop voices so exactly. that as we're, you know, on site, you know, everything is kind of a she, every Everything oh, everything is a she. Everything that we're placing, we're like, does she need to? Is she even in the show? Is yeah. she in the world of this play? And regardless like, of the fact they're all she's, they would have a unique, funny character story, and then everybody, be it Tina, Atia, or Noah, or Jano, everybody's just guffawing, yeah, gut so laughing fun. on set, you know. So, and that keeps like the storytelling fresh. That that allows everybody to really create together in that moment, yeah. Because you can come to the table armed with so many ideas about what you're gonna, you know, have. But especially, and the thing I think that serves us really well is the editing 
editing process, being able to know, you know, when do we stop? When do we keep going? How far do we push this envelope? You know, we would come up with different kind of scales or measures to make sure every setup wasn't an over the top, you know, you know, yeah, we called it the Bergdorf scale. So the windows scale. at Christmas time. <laughs> like, and so John, was like, that's a five on the Bergdorf scale. Like, we need oh, a few more ones. Or Bergdorf we need scale. A few more yeah. yeah. We'll do two right Because you guys have so much restraint. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Subtleties never yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, more about wooden boards be damned with reclaimed design. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium to galas in the renovated Palm House and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lily Pool Terrace. Chef Rob Newton and Chef de Cuisine Morgan Jarrett offer warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Ben and Christopher of Reclaim Design. Now, we were talking about cheese, but let's talk about toast water. Okay. Let's do it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about it. Because it, it's such a, a funny term, such a funny concept, but it was such a wonderful marriage of, of no effects and Victoria Granoff, photographer and stylist. Um, where did you come into play in, in, in that whole well, we owe so, we owe so much, especially of, of our involvement in this uh, industry, Food to world. Noah. You know, and he, um, I, I think there's kind of a, a beautiful shorthand that is able to come of you know a really intense relationship and friendship and mutual admiration. So we were able to kind of just develop this vocabulary during the, our work together on uh, Cheese Book that I think really set us up for success and kind of engaged us all to even just want to keep creating more together. And he had a box of recipes from his grandmother that was just a bunch of handwritten cards. And we're talking from the late 30s until the 80s. So it's this woman's life through recipes. And we're talking crazy recipes, like crazy. you know, squirrel or like... Or a, toast water, or which toast is literally water, blackened yeah. toast strained <laughs> through a cheesecloth and you drink the water to cure a hangover. Yeah. Gross. Did it work? <laughs> we just looked at it and, and Noah had this idea that he wanted to make it like 70s porn. That was mm-hmm. our inspiration was he wanted the whole book to feel in your face, aggressive. Yeah, shot the whole thing with a ring flash in a way that not many people are you know no actually nobody's really shooting that you know cookbooks with ring flashes in that way so we kind of did a lot of research there and uh victoria granoff who we were so privileged to be uh working alongside recreated 25 of these different recipes that noah uh you know like we're talking broccoli cheese casserole without broccoli you know these are things from the 50s that are just these processed i don't know these antiquities that are awesome yeah it was very neat uh there's a beautiful you know forward and afterward that both of them kind of speak to the life of this uh, woman who kind of touched us all through the process because we all have a grandmother. We all have a Nana in that kind of way, which he dedicated this book to. And I was definitely thinking about my granny the whole time. Uh, But, you know, it really, the way recipes kind of tell the story and, and, and narrate the life of, you know, this woman through all of these different periods in her time, it really kind of captivated us and then set us on a wild a wild uh, ride. A that wild coupled ride. with seventies porn. <laughs> That's why really the covers linoleum, exactly, so it's easy to clean. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, growing up in you know southern Illinois, southern Mississippi, the Southerns. Uh, <laughs> what, what were those 
recipes that you know were from your grandmother's bubbies nona's my grandma she did lemon desserts and she did this lemon chiffon cake that just me and my stepdad who raised me since i was four and i love him like he's my dad but just the two of us loved these lemon desserts and i she's passed away and i haven't had them since and i loved them like no one makes lemon chiffon cake but she killed it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i love that my mom is like a killer too i take a lot of my cooking tips from her and she makes this uh banana pudding that i like live for and bring brings all it to her, like easter brunch easter brunch annually and, <laughs> and then potato salad you know what i mean like old southern potato salad that's again kind of that's just, an easter uh, brunch fan fave those so. are, are my recreations but the cool thing is we were able to since uh toast water is such a vintage a you know inspired piece i was able to put some of you know like an old corningware plate from the 80s that i used to grow up on that were our everyday plates that got to make oh, it your in. grandma's bowl of keys my, well. yeah it's like my grandmother's bowl of keys our own you know it's like some of our own it's always fun when our own lives kind of intersect with the art that we create and yeah. we're really able to say hey this is actually the perfect opportunity to throw this yeah, exactly. crazy thing of mine in here you know exactly i collected uh this wallpaper for a while smurfed wall wallpaper <laughs> you know and i've had this like wallpaper from the 80s that I keep buying on eBay because I just imagine one day I'm going to have this room with smurfed wall. <laughs> and so in the meanwhile, when we were talking about the you know the blueberry cake, for example, I was like, what if we shoot this on that smurfed wall? And it kind of turned out to be one of my favorite shots in the book. Yeah, so. it's awesome. You know, we were talking about like reality and non-reality before, and you got to work on this kind of amazing project at Dovetail. Eat What You Watch, and it's 43 recipe setups inspired by movies. Mm-hmm. Pasta sauce from Goodfellas, shrimp cocktail from Beater Juice. Uh, I saw, whose hands was it doing the Charlie Chaplin bread roll? Oh, that's Knox. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he would kill that. Yeah, yeah. hand acting yeah. in this book. Uh, <laughs> the Big Kahuna Burger from Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. right. uh, so th- these are very known things. Rather than these family relics, you're recreating you know, this piece of fiction that everyone has reference to. Yeah. So how do you both pay homage and make it your own well good question and we didn't really know what the heck to expect yeah. with this process for us it was oh my god it was like huge well, undertaking. here's 50 movies yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we you know having this theatrical background we're like we've got to make sets and so oh, we made sets and so what changed it and what allowed it to become artistic is you'd realize oh my god we have these huge setups for this one but now we need something smaller tighter and more intimate and there came more creative license but don't get us wrong the big stuff too had utter creative license the smaller more intimate stuff allowed us to play more with um form yeah and i think it started a lot with research too like we really had to kind of like go back to the drawing board and do our text analysis like right you know at the top of cheese book when you sit down it seems like an impossible kind of feat like oh wow we're about to shoot a hundred different setups or something so literally we would go through we made spreadsheets where you know, paying homage, obviously, to the production designers of those movies because, you know, those are iconic to us, too. And we would never want to let a fan down, you know, right. especially like <laughs> a super fan that knows, you know, this Beetlejuice scene. They're yeah. going to know that glass yeah. <laughs> brick wall. You know what I mean? So it was fun being able to kind of do all of that work. And then we were out in the world. We were producing events uh, across the country. And we happened to be in Austin a little before this thing. So, you know, we were scouring antique, you know, shops out, you know, outside of the New York area in Austin and mailing stuff back here that we knew. Yeah. We would then, you know, use in the lobster scene from Annie Hall. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what are some of your favorite food experiences in art or in movies that, that you've come across in your life that, that you've either recreated or wanted to recreate? Good question. Yeah. 
Uh, Noah actually sh- and Victoria, you know, turned us on to that Dolly cookbook that is just so cool. Oh, and yeah. Ben and I were in uh, Bar- Barcelona, in, yeah, in Barcelona and Berlin, and Berlin at a few um, doing events, doing events at a few uh, museums. And we were like, this could be really cool, you know, to take like a very f- fresh, like modern art redefinition of some of these steel yeah. life things featuring food. So know. that's an idea popping around with Noah, like now. We- We'd like to create a book that is visually sumptuous, a crazy mixed media of recipes that are as classic as the pieces they're derived from. But so every page has its own distinct flair derived from the artist that it came from. So uh, that's just something that's still totally in the ideation phase. Don't steal the idea oh, no. if you're out there listening. <laughs> I've always wanted to have an We've alcove. We've got lists and lists now. It's like, oh, Lord. <laughs> I've always wanted to kind of recreate, uh, make an alcove restaurant, like the Dutch masters, the Flemish paintings. Where yeah. Oh, yeah. Oyster and you know orchard fruit broken open and maybe sitting for a little too yeah, long yeah, right. yeah. but literally have diners walk up and eat out of the alcove like no no table no seats and, yes. <laughs> and, yeah no I'm, and i'm obsessed there's a few artists that do this you know the miniatures with food i think that's so funny like i'm obsessed with miniatures and the idea of like little miniature worlds so something like that could be funny too but is this a path i know you guys do a lot of things outside of food and people should go to your website to check that out and the new website what is our cdnyc.com that's, that's correct it. but is food a new path is, is is this a new outlet that you're going to continue on absolutely um being hyper creatives we'd like to create as many lanes on the highway of our creative expression that we can find and so that this has not only fallen into our lap but evolved into something that's brought us incredible collaborators and experiences we certainly don't want to say no to doing more of it yeah, absolutely. It's really inspiring for us too to be, you know, in a room, you know, with so many professionals at such a high level executing, you know, putting kind of our superpower into the mix and really yeah. being able to <laughs> come up with something we would have never been able to dream up on our own or, or really execute. So yeah. it's great being, you know, surrounded kind of by this echelon of people that are so, you know, top of their game. Top yeah. of their game. Well, talk to me about what you're surrounded by right now and and how <laughs> the studio sets a scene because you guys both walked in here exclaiming uh how wonderfully you know curved the roof is and you know the, the plastic cups we're drinking water out of what is it that makes this this place uh there's a sense of whimsy in this studio when you've got house plants growing and seem to be doing very healthy but i don't know where they're getting their light from you've got this big beautiful window looking out over a restaurant that's got the sickest patina all over the wall a patina that would only be found in williamsburg or bushwick yeah it's a lot of character and that's kind of what we're always drawn to things that in in a room or in an environment can really elicit some kind of um response emotionally or incite some kind of you know conversation between between two like people. the boar's head behind you. Yeah, like you're like, yeah. where? I'm like, oh my god, I just <laughs> yeah. saw this thing. Yeah, and we don't mean baloney. Oh <laughs> no, we oh, don't. No. We don't. We're not talking nitrate-ridden meat. Yeah. We're talking a real boar's head. But are there other restaurants in the city around the world that have that same kind of relationship? Like you walk into and the story's been told. Well, tons. And right now that you've asked, it's having a hard time come to my head. There's a place in Brooklyn called Rabbit Hole. Which I love, and it's number one brunch in Williamsburg. It happens to be on my street. Um, but it's got this sense of character and love, and it's because the owners helped decorate it. And so every piece just seems to have been sourced with attention to detail and telling their story, which Rabbit Hole has something to do with Alice in Wonderland. So there's such a sense of play and whimsy. But anytime you see somebody take an idea and execute it beautifully in their own way, then I just really applaud them as 
artists and creators. Yeah, I love restaurant design and stuff. We got to be able to uh, have the opportunity to work with Eddie uh, from Eddie and the Wolf on Avenue C between 7th and 8th and really kind of uh, start, you know, their garden uh, area out Mm. front. And then they have this really cool back room where they've turned a bunch of stools upside down and, you know, upcycle them into really cool, you know, planters that are all throughout. And we helped install their water eating systems. And it's really fun to watch a restaurant or a place like that be able to have so much character and then grow into it. You know, now it's like, you know, a few years later and that front just looks so unbelievable. Literally growing, evolving. Yeah, when things really mature into their own it's just a really it's as designers you know in that kind of a lot of the things that we do and one thing that we love about the cookbooks is are that they get to kind of stay a lot of the event stuff it's very you know one off and it's done. one off and so there's a sustainability when you're imagining designing for a restaurant or designing for a place that you know wants to hold a lot of character because it wants to feel mature and heavy yeah. and, and interesting feel, you know yeah. but i'm you want to design a restaurant. I oh, yeah. Can, oh, yeah. yeah. Give me that restaurant. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. We've so, designed a million, yeah. in, our, we've designed a million <laughs> exactly. in our head. We have like a exactly. few. Exactly. So aside from the space, which I do want to hear about what it looks like, what does the menu look like? Which one? Of your imaginary restaurant. Oh, wow. Well, see, I would imagine. Yeah, it's like I haven't gotten there yet. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, a restaurant. <laughs> definitely would, a bar. Definitely a bar. <laughs> it would definitely be a mixology bar with the most beautiful kind of appetizers. The two of us are huge fans of pate. And it's funny because yeah. Chris sometimes like, oh, I just want macaroni and cheese. Do you know? <laughs> but he will definitely eat like a great pate. Uh, yeah. So I think we've developed this bar in our head that is a bourbon-centric mixology bar. We produce events in uh, Barcelona and like fell in love with the tapas idea, you know, yeah. of like tapas culture of everything being shared. We have a lot of, you exactly. know, kind of the same group of friends that we love to go out and just like throw a ton so of stuff. So just imagine like a place that's not just sangria and tapas, exactly. but the most fabulous cocktails with the most fabulous arrangement of curated tapas, but not, you know, Spanish in nature. They can be a zillion things, but edible finger foods that go great with a cocktail in your hand. Yeah, our, our, I think the design aesthetic would definitely be a cool mix of vintage and modern and eclectic, and so I would just imagine that the food would you know, really the smartly design, represent all of it that. It would be a know? series of lounges of beautifully sourced things. You'd have I literal. like how this restaurant oh, yeah, is oh, yeah. I can see it. It's like <laughs> I've already that wall. Knock down oh that God. wall. <laughs> yeah, we've always wanted to do a series of lounges that invite like groups of ten or you know five to whatever, but it's just these series of lounges that create these wonderful moments and for they each get their own like buffets or like, like their a gorgeous own their own like, bar cart. you know, bar carts or bar setups or yeah tables, it's more so. about creating these unique ecosystems inside this one big sexy place but that's, that's all what about. touches people what they don't realize when they have a great experience at a restaurant it's like of course the you know what i mean it's about how that environment really invites them to for that second feel or to connect with whoever they're in front of yeah. or you know you're really setting people up for success always yeah if you create a beautiful background and, and for dessert, lemon chiffon. And yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I want to thank you both, and I hope this is the first of many times on Heritage, as well as just the food scene. Like maybe this could be a reoccurring series. We knock down another wall, open up another wall. <laughs> oh, yeah. But ev- got- <laughs> everyone should check out Ben and Christopher's work. And that website again is rcdnyc.com. Reclaim Design. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, man. A big thanks to Cookies for Music and David Tattashore Engineering. And as always, heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate and become a member today. Cheers.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.